again, it's just Java. It's so shitty code to begin with. Oh, sorry. Hopefully nobody gets angry at that one. Welcome to 30 Day InfoSec, a podcast that covers the last month of InfoSec happenings. This is your host, TJ. And Ryan, let's start the show. Hey, Ryan. Welcome back. I know, right? The hangover from DEF CON has been killer. I know the virtual hangover must have been twice as bad as the the regular one as if we went to Las Vegas. I know, right? I, I feel like I drank so much listening and watching virtual DEF CON than I, I ever do in Vegas. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, the big thing is it's been a couple months since our last episode. Uh, so we're going to probably go over the last 60 days. So it's going to be 60 day InfoSec now. Maybe we can cut in a new... Uh, you splashed for that. Are you are you renaming this already? We just I mean, started. We, we have to rift. We have to rift. <laughs> all right, all right. But all jokes aside, let's get into our first story. So, back in the end of July, Emotech came back, and that's one of the most prolific distribution malwares out there. Started as a banking malware, but really is used as distribution malware now. Uh, and that jumped back into the scene and apparently was just coming back with full force. Did you hear about that, Ryan? Yeah. I mean, the fact that it disappeared for such a long time was kind of a, you know, one of those weird rumors of, of speculation of going around or around the dark web. You know, what, what's going on? Did these guys leave the scene? Are they still playing around? What are they doing? That kind of stuff. So it was, a, it was interesting one to see them leave, but now that they're back and back in full force, it's, you know, it's kind of, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, I think the long-standing joke is that a lot of people uh, believe this group to be Eastern European, so they uh, go vacation in the same spots. So they always are trying to call out uh, where they are vacationing. There's actually a couple of Twitter uh, personalities that have uh, their their favorite phrases. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I did notice, you know, once they came back, though, it looks like uh, a couple of cyber researchers have already, you know, identified vulnerabilities within the C2 communication um, network infrastructure that they're using. So they've already started taking over some of the infrastructure within Emotet and replacing a lot of the payloads with just uh, memes or GIFs. It's been quite entertaining. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I know that a lot of researchers will go and poke at the C2s and uh, try to identify that. But a lot of uh, what Emotet uses is uh, hacked WordPress websites. So I'm guessing that might be the uh, mechanism in which they just see the way that typically the WordPress site is getting uh, exploited. And then they probably tried it on some of those uh, distribution yeah, I mean, you know, being being uh, poor and opsec, you know, usually you're not patching your backdoors when you should be, uh, especially if you want to ma- maintain access on your servers that you've compromised. Uh, so yeah, you know, a lot of people just come in right behind you; they can use the same hole that you walked in and get on that same server. Yeah, I'm not sure of the legalities behind that, but it's definitely interesting. And I'm guessing that the uh, the Lone Ranger researcher is probably not going to expose themselves anytime soon for risk of uh, indictments or any legal action. Uh, I would probably be under the same assumption, yeah. So TJ, I heard this really good joke. What do Biden, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Kim Kardashian, and Apple all have in common? Uh, they all have a lot of money. 
well, that's true. And they were all going to send me some too. I mean, I just had to send them like a thousand bucks, but no, in serious, they, uh, it looks like Twitter back in July got hacked. Well, they didn't get hacked really, but an admin panel and an internal employee provided access to a external bad guy, um, which allowed them to come in and basically take over any, any account on Twitter. Um, they were primarily focused on, uh, basically verified accounts, um, is what they were looking at. And so, yeah, the, the, those people that I was just naming Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and a handful of other accounts, um, were all getting popped left and right and leaving a, basically, a, a a nice little tweet that said, Hey, I'm going to give back to you. So if you send a thousand thousand dollars in Bitcoin to this address, I'll send you $2,000 back, which is, you know, the classic, uh, scam that goes back, goes back and forth through email all the time, actually in real life too. But yeah. So the, so the big question is, did you get money back? I mean, I'm not going to tell you, man. How do you, th- <laughs> how do you think I'm going to fund 90 day in Infosec? <laughs> well, I'll come back with 120. Don't worry about it. I gave him 2000. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, this is basically just like the God view from Uber. And, you know, lo and behold, you have this overarching access portal for a the entire platform that basically gives you know full control over the whole platform and there's no real checks and balances other than that you're a security engineer so you basically can do all this stuff or a, a software engineer that will basically allow you to do all that stuff and guess what it gets you used for bad things like this is something i feel like ubers went through and i'm bet you a, a bunch of other companies have gone through the same exact thing and now it like they it's Twitter's t- turn to sort of come to the light on this. Yeah. So I, I don't know what the underlying usage was supposed to be for this administrative portal, at least, you know, providing access to employees to tweet things as, you know, verified individuals on the, on the platform. I'm just, I don't see anything but bad, <laughs> bad usage coming from that, that, that aspect of the tool. Obviously I'm sure there's a lot of other things that go on there being able to geo track and, and kind of identify malicious users or compromised accounts. That's, that's all good stuff, but like just the capability to send out tweets as, as another individual that just, I see no good from that, from that functionality within the tools. I don't even know why that usage was there even to be exploited, um, you know, by a, by a bad person anyways. Yeah, I'm guessing that is probably some underlining technology that was used when they were in like their startup mode and they just kept moving it along and updating it with the infrastructure. But I, I definitely think that there probably should have been a better pathway to do any of the functionality that you needed to do in that portal or, or app portal application. I think that it's sort of just an easy button type application where, you know, anyone who's really just trying to get a lot of work done, changing something about certain accounts or going through and giving, you know, access or updating tweets or something like that for uh, customers of Twitter, they probably uh, leveraged it for that. But at what risk are you having this uh, ease of access? Yeah, exactly. I mean, any any administrative function like this, where you where you're actually taking over a, a user or being able to manipulate a user in this case, there there really needs to be checks and balances. You know, two two party you know validation that goes on, or just some sort of you know elevated access or, or trusted 
uh, trusted individual. I mean, there's countless, countless different ways that you could do this besides just providing, you know, username and password to allow somebody to log in because, you know, obviously this, this, this employee was not vetted and that's why they were able to provide this access to some, you know, third party person. I, I don't remember now. Did they actually arrest somebody for this? They did, didn't they? It was, wasn't it a kid in Florida? Yep. Yep. They arrested a kid in Florida and, during his court appearance, someone Zoom bombed the court experience. So that was actually pretty interesting in and of itself as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's crazy, man. So for the next topic, let's talk about Garmin. I know we probably don't really use GPSs in the traditional fashion anymore because we have Waze on our phone, Google Maps, uh, Apple Maps, those type of pro- those type of apps to do that, but. It looks like Garmin had a uh, four-day service meltdown uh, because of a ransomware attack, which is pretty intense. I mean, it gave me a, you know a four-day vacation from the gym, so that was nice. Because if I can't track it, it didn't happen, so I just didn't go. Well, that's good. I don't think those uh, helped out with your gains at all. But uh, <laughs> it looks like uh, they were attacked by the infamous Wasted Locker ransomware, which... Uh, is allegedly run by a group called Evil Corp. Now, there's a lot of, you know, miscon- misconceptions and uh, uncertainties around the ties between Wasted Locker and Evil Corp. But that's what most news outlets are reporting right now. Yeah, everything that I saw was also Wasted Locker. It looked like it was a new strain that was, you know, spe- specific to uh, just Garmin, or at least right now, just Garmin. Um, past that i'm sure it's probably going to get reused in other other orgs as they get compromised yeah and and you know with the evo core it is noted like noted by uh the u.s department of treasury as one of those uh russian-based hacker groups that are uh being actioned on currently so i'm not even sure if it's legal to even pay the ransom, to be honest. But I'm not sure about that. I, that there's, I know there's certain groups that you're not allowed to pay ransom for within the United States. I mean, we are definitely not lawyers, so if you want to pay ransom, go ahead. But yeah, I, I, I don't believe it is actually right now legal because you're, you're, I guess, you're funding terrorism. I think they they label it as so. It's it's not it's it's not really a cool thing to be doing right now. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so I, I, that's really the interesting part about ransomware is that, like, because it's so prolific right now, there's so many other uh, considerations to take to take when you're actually being hit by ransomware. That the the issue of being ransomware is one thing. Then you have to talk about the double extortion, so the the risk of your data being published on one of their ransom blogs. And then after that, you know, there's the ties with other uh, groups, nations, those type of uh, geopolitical issues where you may or may not be able to actually pay the ransom if you want to get your data back from that route as well. I mean, some people will just restore from backups and take the losses, but there's also, you know, a large amount of uh, victims that have paid this ransom. So Garmin's actually not a U.S. company, so it looks like they're able to bypass all of those U.S. legal issues, uh, but they still are at risk of having uh, breaking, like, at least 
breaking U.S. sanctions against Evil Corp. I'm not sure how that works. I'm not a lawyer, but it seems like they paid $10 million or an entity paid $10 million on their behalf, and then they were they basically were able to do that because they're using a foreign cybersecurity firm and they're also a foreign company. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to play out from like a U.S. standpoint. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to run into issues, you know, as they're well, you know, now that they're spun back up. I don't know if any if if there's going to be any implications with you know U.S. Treasury or doing business in the U.S. or anything like that. You know, yeah. <laughs> as TJ said, neither of us are lawyers, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it's it's very a very curious situation and because ransomware is just so prolific and like i keep thinking we say this more and more often but it just it's not going anywhere anytime soon i think that's the most uh common attack that uh we have to respond to at my day job so it's one of those things where i think that uh just keeping an eye on this type of this type of stream of data and and this news is really important because if you're hit by it and you have to like explore your options, knowing sort of how these played out previously will help you sort of make decisions going forward. Yeah, definitely. So another thing that we uh, missed from our 60 days of InfoSec is a ton of exploits, actually. Uh, the first one that was pretty big was the F5 Big IP uh, exploits, which uh, had uh, remote code execution for a ton of F5 Big IP customers, and I, I, I feel like this this whole thread of these recent exploits are all really bad remote code execution that has broad impact across many different vendors. I know there's another one with SAP, and then another one with SigRed. Do you have any more insight on those? So yeah, some of the insight with, I mean, the F5 vulnerability was actually pretty funny because it started out as a cross-site scripting vulnerability, but could also be leveraged into a remote code execution um, on the system. Uh, I mean, the SAP vulnerability you were talking about was all Java-based. Uh, it, you know, again, it's just Java. It's so it's shitty code to begin with. Oh, sorry. Hopefully nobody gets angry at that one. Um, but the the SigRed vulnerability was probably one of the more interesting ones that I actually got to dig a lot more into. Um, so it was actually a, a DNS issue or a malformed DNS package that you could send. So if you stood up an actual DNS server online and was able to point a, tar a target system at it to retrieve a record, so when that response came back, you could you know send that send that response as malformed, which would trigger remote code execution on the you know the the system in general that was making the query. So it was actually it, it, all three of them are pretty bad. Um, the, the the Microsoft one, obviously, since Windows is just so prolific out there, was probably the, the bigger one, or at least the bigger one that I, I was dealing with on a day to day basis in my day job. Um, but yeah, all, I mean, all three of these were pretty bad. Yeah, I know that SigRed and SAP both were like ten out of tens on that severity. So that's pretty pretty intense. I think all three of these are are ten out of ten. Yeah, all three of oh, them. Oh man, yeah. Um, so for the last last article that we wanted to touch on was, you know, kind of a huge deal, actually, because I mean, it's one of the at least bigger public uh, reactions, at least that I can remember seeing uh, lately was Tesla actually got approached by a supposed Russian hacker 
um, or a Tesla employee, I should say, was approached by a Russian hacker, was they were trying to provide them with a USB thumb drive that they could take into the factory, load up on a, on a system, and then you know they would get paid, I think it was a few million dollars, um, once they completed their objective. Luckily, in this case, Tesla got saved because the employee was actually a good employee, and they turned down the offer. But, um, I mean, this, this is a huge issue, right? So now, not only are you having, you know, industrial espionage going on here but you know for somebody like tesla where you're building electric vehicles and then you know elon musk has his figures and all sorts of other things I, you know to me this was kind of it was kind of interesting and very you know just kind of scary right tj yeah i mean i think that there's a lot of espionage vibe here and i feel like this is probably not the first time this happened uh at various large companies around uh the world and i'm sure that a lot of that has not been reported. And I think also to sort of augur in on this a little bit more is, you know, the, the end goal for this was to conduct a ransomware. And so there are other instances and other types of attacks. So like cyber espionage, stealing data and all that stuff. Like we, we deal with, and especially like in the DFIR realm, like we deal with a lot of intrusions and sometimes you just don't know how the attacker got on the box mainly because of logs and how long ago they had access and they just the dwell time has been so long that a lot of those logs rolled over and you just don't really have a lot of insight so most of the time people assume that it's you know email or you know some sort of spear phishing campaign that went through or water holing or something along those lines but i feel like this is a really viable option for a lot of uh, espionage-esque type operations and it's really surprising because it looks like the uh the person who was arrested was only 27 years old uh and then you know when we talk about the twitter attack that was a 17 year old it's relatively young people i mean and they're i mean doing a lot of like this this malicious activity that has a really big impact so it's kind of scary that like anyone could sort of get into this like big game bad actor type realm uh with the tools tactics and techniques i mean yeah i mean cyber is one of the few i guess criminal places that you can get into where the barrier to entry is really just your knowledge base i mean you don't have to have a fancy computer really you don't have to have you know the latest and greatest you kind of just need to sit there and learn something um you know, you don't have to be some super expert mastermind to pull off, you know, an Ocean's Eleven bank heist or casino heist, really. You can, you know, you can just be any old kid on the street that, you know, just didn't didn't like his grades. So you want to go change them or, you know, you, you want to go talk to somebody that works at Tesla to install a thumb drive. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah, and a lot of this was – and a lot of this in the Twitter attack were based off of relationships within – the company from an insider which really is disturbing right because now we're talking about you know this whole this whole realm of security that you know a lot of people don't really have a lot of a lot of background in so you know getting approached by people and building a relationship like this this guy was courted or tried attempted to be recorded from july to august i mean that's a significant amount of time to have communication with someone you know they did the right thing and and worked through with the company but what if they didn't what how where would we be at and what would this story look like if they did not do that yeah it could have been it could have been uh, just like garmin 
All right, Ryan. So I think that wraps up our episode of 30 Day InfoSec. So before we go, I just want to talk about some of the events that are coming up as we usually do. Uh, the first one here is going to be Ecto Party 2020, Hack the Pondemic, and that's September 24th to 26th online. Uh, we also have B-Side Charlotte, which will be on September 26th, and Shellcon IO, which is based out of Los Angeles, and that is going to be on October 9th through the 10th. So with that, I think... We're going to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much, Ryan. Bye, all. All right. Bye, TJ. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us on 30 Day InfoSec. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also connect with us at 30dayinfosec.com.